Got to get the furniture right. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome to our new series. I will invite some others up in a minute, but thank you so much for that item. <laughs> that was great, eh? Very beautiful. All his promises, yes and amen. Well, we have won 17 gold medals. We have won 17. It's true, isn't it? New Zealanders, well done. Seven, I believe, or nine. Quite a few, considering the population. And Malaysia, you did well. South Africa and some of the other countries. I'm sorry, but today it's about Australia. We won. Um, Ariana Titma, she did well, eh? Yes. We won gold. Did you see the video of her coach? Yes. He didn't swim that day. <laughs> but he won. Her parents and her friends, they were on there. They were excited. They didn't swim that day. But they won. They sacrificed. They moved. They did that. Then I discovered that her primary school coach came on the TV as well primary school coach. Uh, he won that day. And then there was St. Pat's College, one of their own. We won. Your contribution was probably only taxpayer money. <laughs> but we won. You got it? It's a little bit about community of believers that we still need to learn a lot about. Our Door of Hope community needs to, I mean, we do it well. If someone wins, we win, we celebrate. I sometimes wonder though, if we do it the other way, if someone loses, do we feel the loss as well? Today we've got a new series on Paul, but it's not really on Paul. It's on his co-workers. Paul was a winner. And we're celebrating, we're studying him, we've got all these books that over this time you'll discover that he couldn't do it alone. This series focuses on his companions, his co-workers, his community. And so throughout these next five weeks, I think we've got evening and night, different series, different speakers. Uh, we are going to have teams of people giving the message so that we can look at Paul and his need of others to fulfill the calling to be what God called him to be. He couldn't do it without others. He needed others to fulfill his calling. Simple as that. And uh, we wouldn't have that legacy of Paul today without a lot of unknowns, a lot of ordinaries, a lot of people who went about their business being faithful to God. And so we've got the legacy of scriptures. And you'll discover that possibly he had a lot of help writing those as well. And we have his interpretation of the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus. What a blessing. We were never meant to do life alone. I don't know if Paul had to learn that, how long it took him to learn it. Probably when he was humbled on the way to Damascus, when he had someone hold his hand and lead him, where he had probably had someone feed him and look after him. But God works with people together trusting, encouraging, accepting, honouring. And yes, sometimes that does not look pretty. So this is the takeaway for today. We is better than me. 
That's not original, I got that from Scott McKnight. We is better than me. Paul knew it, he had to learn it, we need to learn it. Together we're on a mission here at Door of Hope. Our call is to be Jesus-centered, doing life together in partnership so that our friends and neighbors may hear about Jesus, our Savior and Lord, who gave his all for us. So I've got some co-workers today, Wayne Kerrison, he's going to come up, and I've got Tracy, and they're going to take a seat here as well. And uh, Wayne uh, is one of the pillars, so-called, of the church. He's been around for a long time. (laughs) And Tracy, I met when I first came to the church in 2004. Tracy was part of the Alpha team, and we were um, part of that together, and every week we used to meet and pray. They were precious days. And Wayne, a bit more about you later, but over to you now, Wayne, to tell about your story here at Door of Hope. Thank you. I think I'll change chairs with you, actually. Thanks, Sandy, and if I'd heard what you'd said, I probably would be... Whatever. <laughs> That's the advantage of poor hearing. <laughs> Just a little bit of background for those who are relatively new here. Um, in 1990, my wife and I and family returned from Papua New Guinea where we'd spent four and a half years as part of a team there. Uh, we were the town part of the team and 18 adults and 21 children based on stations right around the lower Ramu area, uh, most of them only accessible by plane, light plane, uh, they depended on us for everything, even ringing up their mother for the, her birthday, things like that, things that they couldn't do when they were out in the bush. And uh, my role was uh, Director of Finance and Administration, which just means I did everything that I had to do. And uh, Janet was the buyer shipper. She could tell you some funny stories about those kinds of things. When we returned with our family, we resumed attending uh, Margaret Street Church of Christ, which then became Lawson Church of Christ, which then became Door of Hope Christian Church. So I've been here every other day. Janet was born into this church, more or less, as a family member of uh, attenders, and I joined it after chasing her around Launceston in 1967. (laughs) And so we resumed here. I was involved uh, along with a whole team of people in uh, renovating 71 Frederick Street so that that might become our new home as we outgrew Margaret Street. And uh, we moved up there and I still remember that miracle Saturday when we had our first working bee and people appeared out of the woodwork and uh, some of them went back into the woodwork, I think. <laughs> and we just stripped the place and got rid of everything that was in the, in the uh, outside area as a teamwork. It was fantastic. And um, as we returned, uh, on the work front, I had already sold my business before we went to New Guinea. And uh, so we had about five years to over a five-year period of just 
back into the Tasmanian culture and we suffered quite hard reverse culture shock. Uh, but um, during that next five years I went through a, a number of short-term and highly stressful jobs uh, added to the culture shock and I became quite unwell. I was on sick leave and undergoing a course of treatment and then more or less out of the blue to me in 1995 Craig Spaulding, who was the senior minister uh, of our church at that time, approached me about coming onto team. And uh, initially I said, no, I don't think I could handle the stress. Uh, I've been around ministers long enough to know that it could be a very stressful job at times. And uh, so I said no, but then over a period of, I don't know, some weeks or months, I really can't recall, God seemed to change my feeling about that and I was given the direct impression that I really should explore that a bit further. And uh, I ended up 13 and a half years in that role, so it took me a while to explore it, <laughs> a bit slow, and uh, it's the longest I've worked anywhere and uh, probably along with Papua New Guinea worked uh, the most fulfilling that I've ever experienced. And while Craig had called me onto team as being part of uh, doing some administration, some training and uh, uh, community programs, I saw my job and God really impressed on me that I was there to support Craig. I was to do whatever he needed to do. Because his primary gifts were being in relationship with God and spending time with him in prayer in order to determine as best a human could what God wanted the church to become, what we were to do as a church in the community. And because that wasn't my kind of um, experience and relationship with God, I saw my role as to back up Craig and support Craig. And I never did once aspire to senior minister roles. And um, most of you would be very glad about that. <laughs> but Craig could see that my gifts and abilities and experience would slot in and fit into that team and give him the support and backup that he needed there as part of that team. And team was a key word. And um, my style is task-oriented. I'm a doer. If I see it, I do it. If it stands still, I salute it. If it... I paint it, yeah, whatever. And uh, so my role was, as a team member, was to put flesh on the bones of the vision that Craig was able to determine as senior minister with his uh, relationship with God. And my gifts, uh, his were leadership primarily, mine were helps and administration. I also was involved in doing a little bit of training uh, and uh, developed some courses, localised versions of Shape for Ministry and Spiritual Maturity Development courses. But I was soon very, um, sorry, I was very soon shown that I couldn't do it on my own. Tends to be my nature to just get in and do it. But uh, Craig, in his wisdom, was able to show me that uh, to do what I was the task before me, I needed to gather others around me to develop teams 
And so I set out using Shape for Ministry primarily as a course to help people discover what their spiritual gifts were, what their heart or passion was about, their abilities, their natural abilities, uh, and their personality style and their experience in order to find where those round pegs fitted into round holes and so that the, their jobs wouldn't be as stressful in their roles. And so I was able to build up various teams around me, sometimes to even lead projects on their own without my interference. And um, I had the privilege of serving alongside others in the team over this 13 and a half year period uh, with other associate ministers, Daryl Tobler, Joel Ratcliffe. He seems to keep popping up somewhere, doesn't he? <laughs> Uh, the late gentleman Howard Cool and Tom Gray, and of course Steve Fitzalan, Anne Fair, Andrew Fair, Grace Fleming, and of course Sandy Hart. All chosen over that time to fit the team and the ministry needs of the church. And Craig was very deliberate in seeking God's guidance in choosing staff matching their gifts to the roles. And uh, it was Craig, along with the elders, that developed a vision to be a door of hope through Jesus Christ in a fragile and uncertain world and set out about trying to develop the church to be that. And, of course, that keeps going under the leadership of Steve now as he uses his gifts and talents to lead a team. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Wayne. During the last weeks, I've been doing some meditation on Paul and his life. So I'm going to read to you one of these meditations, and I'm using the word you for Paul, because when I do meditation, I have this conversation. So join me in my conversation in my devotional life with Paul. Only now have I realized you, Paul, are like the rest of us, needing mercy and grace, needing to live well in love by constantly reckoning that your life is hidden with Christ in God. How come it's taken me so long to learn this? As I studied your life and writings, I assumed you had sin under control and there were no struggles. I discovered that what you preached was not just written for all humanity, but you wrote it for yourself too just like I do when I teach and speak. I resonated today as I read your words. I hope not to be put to shame in any way. You knew what shame looked like, but you didn't live there. Nor did you live with condemnation. The life you lived, you lived by faith in Jesus, the one who loved you and gave his life for you. You said it in different words when you told us, hold fast to the word of life. But we have the scriptures that you've given us. Again, you said, not that I've obtained, but I pressed on to make it mine. Teach me to live well with the present, with a future perspective. Contentment is something you learned. How long did that take? Were you daily challenged to be content? I know you suffered throughout your life and at the end, under house arrest in Rome, not just from persecution, 
but because you missed your friends and you were cold and you wanted that cloak, what price did contentment come? You experienced God's strength, provision, withholding, joy, satisfaction, all because you knew who you were in Christ, who Christ was, and you experienced daily doses of grace. You learned to live in love, knowing the deep reality of sins forgiven and the gift of righteousness. The Spirit of Christ really helped you. I read those last chapters in Acts, and sitting there, you were expounding the scriptures, working miracles, reflecting how ready you were to meet your Lord. You had fought the good fight. I imagine that you remembered the faithful companions throughout your life, the many who made it possible for you to be the Lord's apostle and missionary. Dear Timothy, like a son to you, Priscilla, how she could teach, and her beloved husband. Together they mentored Apollos, teacher extraordinary. Epaphroditus, caregiver and passionate for Jesus. And people. Julia, the beloved apostle. Other women who loved, who prayed, prophesied. Yes, Philip's daughters. So many. Barnabas, Silas. John Mark, my beloved companion now. So many. But it all started with Ananias. Where would you be, Paul, without him? There you were, shocked, stone blind, and stunned. As you were in Damascus, and for three days you didn't eat and drink. Just left at God's mercy to wonder and ponder. And along came Ananias. Thanks, Tracy. We is better than me. Ananias was a new Christian and a former Jew. In fact, till this point, which was only a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection, all Christians had been Jewish. Ananias lived in Damascus, and Damascus was a busy, bustling, uh, it was a bustling city, and it was a place that was known for trade and for business. And Ananias was a well-known and well-respected man. One day he received a vision from God. And in this vision he was told that there was a man in the city called Saul from Tarsus. Now, this was Paul, but he was known as Saul back then. Now, God said that this Saul is praying and waiting for him to come and to restore his sight. And as Sandy has just said, Paul was blind and he had met Jesus on the way there. And the experience had left him without his sight. He was praying, he was alone in his room, he was frightened, he was confused and he was waiting for Ananias. God had told him that someone would come and tell him what to do next. So this is where Ananias came in. We is better than me. 
Let me read to you from Acts 9, 13 to 16, which sort of captures the conversation between um, Ananias and Jesus in the vision. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So this was a pretty scary situation. Jesus was making a formidable request. Saul and his travelling companions had a reputation of being obsessed with ridding the country of people such as him. They had the authority to throw him in jail. So it would have taken a lot of courage to do what he'd been asked to do. But he did it. God had told him that Paul was his chosen instrument and he had a purpose and a part to play. And so did Ananias. He was chosen to do a job. He was part of a much bigger team. And if he didn't do his job, if he didn't perform the role, Paul would not go on to take the message of Jesus to Judea, to Samaria and ultimately to the rest of the world. So Ananias was obedient and went right into the middle of a very dangerous situation. And he did three things. He put his hands on Saul's eyes and he restored his sight. He conveyed a message and instruction from God to take the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the ordinary people, not the Jews. And the third and perhaps the most beautiful thing that he did, he called Saul brother. Just one simple word. It conveyed so much. By calling him brother, he was not only showing forgiveness, and there was a lot to forgive, but he was showing unconditional acceptance and family love. Let's read on from the passage. We're looking now at Acts 9, 17 to 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who has appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. You know, there's an echo here of something that Jesus did earlier. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. Then he baptised him. And as it says in Matthew 3.16, as soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water and at that moment heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. John the Baptist, Jesus and the Holy Spirit were there as a team and when he began the ministry. And so it was with Paul. 
Paul was a new believer in Jesus, a new follower of the way, filled with the Holy Spirit, who, because of Ananias' obedience, would be instrumental in bringing the good news and the new hope to the world. We is better than me. Thank you. Thanks, Sandy. without Ananias and the agony for Ananias. Thank you. Paul received the gift of the spirit of Jesus and he became a changed man who submitted his intellect, his background, his culture, his gifts, his ministry, his identity to Jesus. I'll go with this one. Okay? I feel as though I've just been shot. He, he submitted to bring into being a new people and a new movement by surrendering. How long would it have taken without Ananias? Paul needed others to be prayed for, to baptize him, to believe in him, to feed him, to introduce him to believers, to speak up for him. Today, we stand here as just a little team to present this today, but we stand as a bigger team here. And I just want to highlight some of the beautiful things that you know what happens, but there's other stuff that just passes by. And, you know, I was preparing and praying about this, and I thought of Dorothy Russell. I think she's in her 90th year. She still runs a connect group, faithfully teaching the word of God. And over these years, she's done it. A prayer for missions. And there's others. I, I shouldn't really name people, but anyhow, I was praying about it this morning, and that name came to me. So I'm going to cheer her on. There's the Alpha team. But there's behind the Alpha team, there's people who prepare meals and pray. And they introduce people to Jesus Christ. There's the pastoral teams and visits who help and encourage you bring food, you give money on Mother's Day, Father's Day, so that they can distribute, distribute it in the name of the church. But it's you, we is better than me. You pray, you give. Did you know there's up to 100 volunteers in Hope Discovery Kids? No wonder they have a great program. Isn't that amazing? And there's lots of other volunteers that do stuff here. There's people who pray, who give, you welcome, you serve, you use your gifts in music, admin, computer skills. Because of the music team, I can enjoy singing. <laughs> I appreciate that. Some of you mentor, some teach, some baptize, some are so far behind the scenes that we don't even know what they do. But they are faithful before God and because of this community and the calling that God has placed on their lives. Never underestimate what we do together. Paul needed others, and together, we is better than me. You got that? Even though some of us would like a little bit more focus <laughs> on ourselves, praise God for the people who serve God without the focus. Praise God for people who 
Get here early and make sure it's clean and ready. Praise God for cleaners. Praise God for people who clean up afterwards. Praise God who faithful, for those who faithfully work behind the scenes so that you can be warm enough this morning, so that you can hear, so that you can enjoy and participate. We need each other. Yeah, Steve's called the senior minister, but he can't do it without us. Do you believe that? Let's not underestimate what partnership develop is. Here's Wayne here. Wayne was the first one to invite me to be a volunteer at Frederick Street to be part of his training program. And we did some teaching on the Bible. Yeah. And it wasn't long after that that we became part of the team. So I want us to actually consider what does it mean to be formally involved as a hope partner? Consider it. Hope partnership. We need each other. And sometimes we need to know who is in this with us. It's not just about lots of individuals doing their own little bits and pieces, but we doing it together. Some of you will never stand up here. Some of you may in days coming over these next weeks, you'll see lots of people up here. But we need you to be faithful to God in the way that he's gifted you, given you abilities, given you the capacity to pray, to give, to be, to come alongside, to encourage, to smile, whatever it is. We need you and we would like to know who it is that are hope partners. Can you seriously pray about it? More than that, though, pray about how you can serve your God, not just here today, but in this community, what it means to be faithful in the ordinary, everyday life that God has called you to. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for the Waynes, faithful servant, who, of whom it can be said, whatever his hand found to do, he did it with all his might. Thank you, Lord, for people like Tracy who in the workplace faithfully have been your ambassador, your person, involved in prayer, in the Alpha, in study, in experimenting and learning what it means to speak. But praise you for the many others who are gifted in technology, who are there for us. Thank you that you have a place for all of us. And you invite us to find out what that place is. Help us, Lord, to help each other, to come alongside, to encourage. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that for we're family. Thank you that we're in this together. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. After the service today, if you really would like to have a chat about what it means to be a hope partner, I asked Andrew to... Send out a letter to the elders and the, some of the ministers, some of the leaders to come and sit in the front seats. And you can come and you can ask them. You can interrogate them. You can find out what on earth does it really mean and where do I fit in in this calling. May God bless you. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Tracy.